Hello and welcome back to another episode of A Woke Bloke, our podcast with Michael from sunny Australia and myself, Reham, from uh, wintry, uh, snowy UK right now, actually. How have you been, Michael? Great, thanks, Reham. Uh, definitely huge contrast. It's been in the low 40 degrees over here at the moment. So I know you guys have summer while we have winter. Yeah. 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 The, the whole white Christmas thing, it, it's just a, a foreign here, but all of our Christmas cards and Christmas decorations still uh, are all about that. But a barbecue on the beach is a great way to uh, celebrate Christmas for us, for those of us who celebrate it. Absolutely. Sounds like a plan. Um, a barbecue over snow works for me any day. <laughs> With that said, we have a really interesting topic set for us today. And uh, one of the many topics um, that are really profoundly impactful on every single person in society is coercive control. So why don't we kind of take a look at what is coercive control, Michael, and see how does it impact men and women? How does it impact children? And how does it impact society as a whole when it's addressed and when it's not addressed? Mm. Coercive control can be any form of controlling behaviour, whether it be um, financial, emotional, uh, humiliation, anything that's used to control a partner's actions. And it can be as much as the silent treatment when hubby comes home from the pub rather than having a, an honest and forthright uh, conversation about you know you would rather not go so things can be discussed before um, emotional blackmail can be used uh, uh, a hubby controlling who his wife or partner goes out with um, is can be coercive control smashing things basically anything that can be used to intimidate or influence somebody in that sets up a power dynamic basically that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to give you money for the shopping if you go out and spend money on this. That's coercive control. And it comes down to, to me, to avoiding the hard conversations and uh, coming to either a compromise or a consensus around um, what, what your expectations are of each other. I couldn't agree more. Is that for a definition? That's pretty good. Uh, thank you for that. I couldn't agree more. I've, I've been working for years in the US and just a little bit here in the UK with women, men and children that had been in abusive situations. It was just something that I did on the side, but it was impactful nonetheless on my life and on, on the lives of so many that I've worked with and volunteered uh, with. And I can see how course of control can start um, unconsciously seeping into a relationship. And one of those first red flags would be isolating someone from their support system. So creating that sense of I'm there for you, I'm the only thing or the only person that you need and you don't need anybody else. Or the flip side would be, oh, your mom is this, this and that and your brother is this, this and that and your dad and your cousins and your friends, oh, they don't know you like I know you. I love you better than they love you. And there's always that comparison in that, that 
uh, tension and almost competitive edge that someone can have to further detach someone from their support system in such a way that it's done systematically over a period of time where you don't really notice that it's happening. Instead of calling a friend when the partner is home, you notice you don't even call the friend at all. And that's how you begin to wake up to the impact of course of control. And that's just one of the many red flags that people experience. What are your thoughts on yeah. that, Michael? Well, I think uh, gaslighting would have to be coercive control's oh, yeah. first cousin. Oh, yes. And it's so closely related that uh, you'd be hard to tell them apart in a dark room that they, they, they could be twins. So yeah. making you doubt yourself. And a lot of the people who've been in a coercive control situation, I find don't realise it until hindsight, until a lot of the times until they're in a... a a good relationship, a healthy relationship where it's based on um, a mutual balance of power uh, where opinions and input is sought to come, come to a conclusion. Um, and I think a lot of it, we've got to be very careful here with the way that we raise our children because when you look at the definitions of coercive control, some of it can come back to parenting. So yes. if you're trying to guilt your children into doing something, if you're um, controlling them about what they should do, how they should behave, rather than trying to understand and explore where that behaviour is coming from. I think it can be the thing that leads people in the beginning to either accept it or dismiss it or confuse it yeah. with what love and attachment looks like. Because a lot of people who perpetrate coerced control actually start off wanting to do everything for you. So as you just said, they can displace other. You don't need, I'll do this for you. They can love bomb you. They like everything's over the top and they just seem so wonderful, but it actually becomes a problem because they don't respect your boundaries. It's all about them and what they want to do. And um, the, it, and it happens with women and men couple of studies have shown that it's nearly evenly split um you know women and men do it but to me it's like we say some things are the gateway drug it yeah. can escalate into something and i've spoken to a lot of men who swear black and blue no i've never been abusive and things like that and it's well you have it just hasn't been physical so emotional financial anything that doesn't let the other person in the relationship be who they are uh you're being coercive it's so true and i think that's why gaslighting is so you know it, it's just it's so destructive on a very primal level because for those of you that haven't heard about gaslighting it's basically the process of an abuser always being right and denying your truth. So for example, if someone um, you know, says, I want, I want a burger for dinner, like a partner says in the morning, I want a burger for dinner, can you make some burgers? Comes home and um, 
and then you make something else because you didn't have enough ingredients. Uh, and this could go for both men and women. And then um, instead of just saying, hey, it's okay, no worries, what ingredients do you need? And that would be a healthy relationship response. The unhealthy gaslighting response would be, who the hell do you think you are? Throw the food on the floor. I never asked for burgers. You're mad. I mean, I'm sorry, I never asked for this alternative. I wanted burgers. How could you not understand? Who do you think, you know, um, pays the bills here? And it's, it's just... And, or, or even the reverse, which is scary, is I never told you I was gonna eat dinner here. Where'd you get that idea? You know, I already ate dinner and someone might've slaved away creating the meal that they had initially sought out to have. It's about denying the truth, the reality of that person's uh, perception of what actually happened and then leading them to believe that they can be a victim but nobody consciously sees themselves in that space of victimhood. And just like you were saying with parenting, we sometimes do this as parents, hopefully we're conscious of it and, and try to eradicate it from our repertoire of, of skills and tools with our kids. But when we say, uh, no, that actually didn't happen. When say, for example, a child heard us tell a lie or said heard, overheard something that we did or said that we might be ashamed or guilty about and, and denying it completely and pretending like it never existed and causing that child to question their sense of reality is so disheartening is an understatement. It can really create a, a conflict of identity. Uh, in the long term, because they don't know who they are anymore. They're being told by the parent who they should, must, and have to be, or they shouldn't and mustn't and have, have not, you know, be in that particular situation uh, to appease the parent. And then what happens from that is then you get a people pleaser as a child or a defiant, rebellious child because they're, they're going up opposite extremes uh, to create that sense of identity, that sense of clarity. And both the parents and the children lose because what's happening is it's a power struggle. Like you said beautifully, Michael, it's that power struggle of I'm in control. You need to know who's in control. I'm going to remind you of who's in control and I'm gonna use tactics that are not healthy to ensure and manipulate the situation to make sure that you know that I'm still in control. And it gets really, really crazy when people, like you were saying, don't see the physical abuse, don't see the financial abuse, because those are the ones that are the most prominent. But you've got at least eight more types of abuse, if not more, that many people don't even know exist that play under the surface and still qualify as abuse. Yeah, one of the things that um, I'm not a big fan of that to me comes under the heading of coercive control of our children is timeouts. It's Yes, don't get me started on that. Once that child starts, gee, I'm, I'm not sure what I did wrong, but and I don't understand it, but I don't want to get sent to my room and have my parent time with my parents and my connection with them threatened by doing that again. So now I'm going to focus on not making that mistake and the child again starts to lose th their identity and yep. they start to second guess themselves and they start to worry when when something goes wrong rather than a, a time out um you know it, it's exact same thing to me as the cold shoulder 
gee, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I explained to my partner that uh, I wanted to go out with my girlfriends for coffee. He said, yep, fine, whatever like that. I get home and he's not talking to me. He's not saying that it's because of it, but I can pick up on this. So next time I get asked to go out with the girls, you know what, just to avoid the conflict at home, just to avoid the tension, I'm not going to go out with the girls. That's the beginning. There's the gateway in there where, you know what, I tried that. She picked up on the on the silent treatment and now it's working. Great. What else can I use this newfound uh, power, this new chink in her armour to do? And the same with children. When they avoid doing things for punishment, yeah. and as I keep saying to the dads I speak to, discipline means to teach. You know, we have certain disciplines mean certain, certain lessons, certain... Um, theories and so to discipline a child is to teach them sending them to room does not teach them it just it just doesn't what they need is more time with us and we need to explore what they were thinking and understand why they were thinking and then explain yeah why that it's wrong and not that it's wrong but just the ramifications of down the track but without trying to guilt them yes it's just like in a relationship, you either lean into a relationship or you lean uh, into one or out of one. Um, it's the same thing with children. If you t- if you give them time out, what you're exactly what you're saying is we're reinforcing the negative connection to punishment and them making mistakes so that they're not learning from the situation. You get time out because you did something wrong. And then the conversation happens after. But what happens is the reinforcement happens from the time out not from the conversation thereafter. So time in is the alternative. And time in is when you get a child and sit them beside you or on your lap if they're still younger and you really just sit there and say, what were you thinking? What was going on? You know, what, 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 what feelings were you feeling and where did you feel them in your body? So that you get children to be conscious of their feelings and how it shows up in their body. So they don't develop psychosomatic behaviors just to appease a, ch- a parent yeah. out of fear. That's one. Two, you sit them down and you really talk about, well, what is the power of choice that you have? And this is, I think this is like a superpower. And and I talk to my son about this all the time. It's a superpower for each and every one of us to, to know that we have a power of choice. Even in the most difficult of circumstances where, where we're between a rock and a hard place, we have choices to do something or not to do something. And so when we remind our children how to critically think about situations, how to reflect, how to articulate their emotions, how to uh, become vulnerable with their emotions, not as a negative concept, but as a positive concept, as in being emotionally in tune, being emotionally intelligent. So then they begin to realize, oh, you know what? I was angry because my brother took my sword, my play sword, for example, and I knocked over the pitcher and I didn't want to eat because what actually happened was my brother got my plate this morning and that's what pissed me off. And that created the chain of of circumstances that led to the knocking over of the pitcher on the table and the fight with the sibling and the argument with the parent. But you won't know that and the child won't know how that all ties in those consequences and those um, those chain of reactions, if they're not articulating 
if they're not processing with the parent. And again, like you and I always say, mistakes are opportunities for learning and, and the home is a training ground. So if a child doesn't feel safe to be able to have those conversations with their parents, they're not gonna feel safe with an intimate partner. They're not gonna feel safe at school. They're not gonna feel safe at work. They're not going to create the healthy coping mechanisms and defense mechanisms to get them from childhood to adulthood. In fact, what they're gonna have is really faulty and very destructive self-sabotaging coping mechanisms and defense mechanisms that will further create a pattern of self-sabotaging um, outcomes because yep, yep. they never elevated or were never encouraged to learn how to elevate their emotional and physiological connection to circumstances and their emotions and how they process them and how they feel them and then how it impacts the other, which is where empathy comes in. And, and the consequences of how does this impact other people outside of you so you can combat narcissism in children before it happens in adulthood. Like I said, don't get me started on this topic. <laughs> um, I always, my thing is, um, what part did I play in it? So if, 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 if Charlie's run amok, what part did I play in it? How was my communication not, not uh, effective for the outcome? Because I, I'm constantly amazed when I have people say to me, you know, I've told my kid a hundred times and they still keep doing that. That's what I say. And you've told them a hundred times and you think the problem is with the kid. Think about it. Think about what might, might be going wrong. It's like me speaking to, you know, somebody who speaks Italian. I can tell them and tell them and tell them and tell them. And I understand it perfectly, but they don't. So you've got to find a way and you've got to ask questions. You know, how can we avoid this happening? You know, and that's what I say. But with a lot of men with your coercive control and you want to blame your partner's behaviour, you need to look what part you're playing it. If you're uncomfortable with your partner going out with certain people or going to a pub or going wherever, uncomfortable with their relationship with someone at work and you find yourself trying to distance them, trying to uh, be derogatory, trying to make them think less of them. You need to look at what needs haven't been met in your own life growing up. Why are you insecure? Because you need to just consider, listen, this girl or this guy is with me and if I don't feel worthy, I'm going to feel threatened. That's about how you feel about yourself. It's not about... It's not about them. It's not about what they're doing. And you create your own monster because what is the difference between somebody being unfaithful and you imagining them being unfaithful every time you're there? You just ruin what you've got. And if you can't be with somebody and not feel like that, you shouldn't be with somebody full stop. You need to work on yourself and you need to accept Things happen, relationships end, but if you've found comfort and identity and security in yourself, if somebody leaves, it's not the end of the world. Relationships break down for a million reasons, but you should be able to dust yourself off and go, you know what? Uh, what I've lost here isn't the end of the world because 
I've been working on myself internally. That's not it. The good times we have were great times, but we're just not meant to be together. I should be able to wish her or him all the best in the future. Because if you want to be upset about somebody um, not wanting to be in a relationship with you, well, I'm pretty sure Angelina Jolie has got no idea. So, you know, don't set your, you know, there are a million people that don't want to be there. So um, you've just got to let them go. And you've got to move forward with pride and not have your standards and behaviour controlled by somebody else's behaviour. If someone is disrespectful or juvenile or... You, don't respond in kind. You just don't. You, you're better than that. You've got to have your own internal sat nav. You've got to have your set of values and you've got to look and go, gee, that person is struggling too. So, you know, they've, they've obviously got some, some internal uh, struggles going on. Uh, you know, I, I wish them well. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I know we all struggle on some level with triggers, with our history, our past, um, you know, unhealed circumstances that continue to pop up in our lives. But that's our journey. That's our baggage. That's not our partner's baggage or our children's baggage. So if we're getting triggered by our partners or our children or our friends or our workmates, then we really, like you're saying, need to reflect because that's not them, it's us. And it means that that's a mirror for us to really reflect on how we can be healthy from the inside out. And what is a challenge is overcoming ego and pride is one side because we're not perfect. We're never gonna be perfect but we're also not broken and needing fixing. We just need tweaking. So it's recognizing the tweaks and, and really, you know, step into those triggers. I know it's scary for many of us. And if you need a coach, you've got us. But the point is when you jump into those moments of what could be perceived as desperation, because we're, we're feeling triggered and we don't know how to respond. So we're reacting emotionally to what is coming up for us. Then we can consciously process that emotion or those emotions with the help of a professional or personally or with friends and family, with loved ones. And then once you've processed it, that's the healing process. That's when the healing actually begins and the trigger no longer has the same impact. It's not like you're pressing a button every single time and you're getting the same results. It's going to be less of a result each time to the point where the emotional attachment will no longer be connected to that trigger. And, and the other thing that I want to bring up as well is when we operate from a place of fear and insecurity, we're not coming from a place of groundedness, be it with our partners, in our lives, or with our children. So we're operating from a place of instability, um, and we've all gone through instability this past year. So imagine going through your entire life from a space of instability and, and lack of consciousness. But when we come from a place of groundedness, meaning I'm centered, I'm focused, I'm concentrating on my breathing, and I'm really coming from a place of I am enough. I know that I'm doing this from the right intentions. And I'm about to approach this from a responsive, conscious decision-making process, not an emotional reactive uh, 
triggering process, the responses that come from us are healthier, are more engaging. We're leaning into situations versus from the fear and insecurity, we're leaning away from situations out of, out of fear of what may or may not happen. So when we're leaning into situations, we're connecting, we're bonding, we're communicating. And those are all the healthy connectors between parent and child partners and, and friends and family. And that's what elevates relationships. That's what strengthens it and rekindles it. And it's not hard, it just takes consciousness. I think that's the first step to a lot of this is being conscious, being a conscious parent, being a conscious partner. When we have consciousness and intentionality around our, our coupling and our partnering with others and our parenting, so much can flourish from that space because then you're doing it based on your values and your morals and your ethics and your beliefs and your principles instead of your fears and your insecurities and your concerns and your worries and your shame. It's just a different framework and it's a different energy. Um, I'll, I'll say one more thing. Uh, in martial arts, there's this point called hara, which is like right uh, a little bit around your belly button or one, one bit under your belly button, like a thumb under your belly button. And that is like your focal point of stability. So if somebody is just talking and they're not focusing on their hara point, their centering point, they could be pushed over, right? And, and as a bouncer, former bouncer, you know how you can move people around, Michael, um, if you need to. Now, if somebody comes focused and centered and grounded, you can't move them as easily. They're not mm -hmm. blown away by the wind, as they say. So that's the space that we want to come from as partners, as parents, as community members, as friends and family, for other people and for ourselves, because that's the place of growth. Yep. What are your thoughts? Oh, definitely. And it's a lot easier to use other people's energy and to disrupt them. <laughs> Speaking of martial arts and, you know, force creates resistance. And it's the same with our children and our partners and things like that. But this coercive control, it's, it's, it's often seen as perpetrated by males. And as I said, research shows that it's nearly, nearly even. So I think an American study in 2015 showed that roughly 36 million men have perpetrated it versus 33 million women. So they're close. But, you know, if anything you use as a, you do this and I'll do that, if then, yeah. Type thing. That's that's it. So um, withholding children oh, to for, for anything like that, that's coercive control. And here in this country, we're, we're talking about making it illegal. And I, I do worry that what is intended to be used as a shield may end up being actually uh, used as a sword and just cause a more adversarial approach. Well, if... If that's coercive control. Well, you did this and you did that. And again, it's it's that force meeting resistance and yeah. th there's not going to be any consensus there as well. But as I say, as parents, I, I really worry with our parenting styles that we may be setting up our kids to either perpetrate it or dismiss, minimise or even excuse it when it's happening to it because we could well be setting up the template or the example of, well, you know, 
mum loved me, but she told me if if my room wasn't clean, I couldn't go to sport rather than sitting down and saying to me, look, you, we need your room clean. Do you understand why? You know, can, is why? there something you, <laughs> yes. you don't understand? And I, I tell you what, what's, what do you think is the best way to get your room clean? Should we dust first, then vacuum or vacuum first, then dust? Where do you think we should put the clothes? What would make it easier? I tell you what, you draw up a list because I know you're smart enough to to do this out. And some people will say, well, that's coercion. Well, it's not because there's not fear of penalty. It's involvement. And without involvement, there's no commitment. And um, a lot of times I'll say to mums who say to me, you know, oh, my husband does this, but he doesn't do it properly. And I say, you're kidding me. Like, if he's doing it, don't criticise it because you're going to shoot him where he's just going to go, oh, it's no use, I'm just going to get criticised. Encourage him and say, oh, you know, it's wonderful, I really appreciate it because the minute you're appreciated and valued, you want to step up a bit. And the same with your kids, you know, find something that they do well. And like I said, when Charlie was younger, because it was just her and I, a three-year-old helping you, make the bed or vacuum or it, it's not help it's not help at all like it takes twice as long but now she, her her um contributions around the house are just fantastic and she loves it and so it'll be but this is the stuff that needs to get done today okay which ones do you want to do i'll do this one this one and this one great i'll do that one that one and, and that one so you know and and that's a healthy relationship, but if I was saying to her, Bub, if you don't do this, this isn't happening, or if you don't do that, that's not happening. And you know what, Bub, I'm so disappointed in you that you did did this. Go to your room. Well, you know, her her example would be, well, my dad really loved me, and he did this, and that's why we tend to find codependent people in an abusive relationship. We find a a perpetrator and a victim, and they don't accidentally fall into each other they're looking for each other both both the uh victim is right right for the the perpetrator because if they've had a strong healthy uh connected and securely attached relationship in their life that's the thing and it's just you know what it just doesn't quite feel right and uh, i'm not going to go once you're in it it is so hard to leave like to get out of a a controlling or abusive relationship a lot of people say oh well she she should have just left well no it, it's ridiculously hard and a lot of the time it's not until real crisis point and that's why a lot of the times they return it's well sure he belted me but he loves me because on some level they think that 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 is love and that they deserved it and it's a bit scary to be out on your own because a lot of the times the victims didn't have that secure attachment and it comes back to them inside having that unmet needs. So if you're distant as a parent, if your daughter or son has to work for your affection, if you withhold that emotional touch. Or approval, yeah. Yep, approval. And, you know, children need to know when they mess up that, what they've done is wrong, but the attachment and the love and it, it's unconditional. It's not, 
I love you when you're good, but when you're bad, you know, because then they walk around just scared. They don't have a sense of self. They don't develop their own confidence and they walk through lives just as a shell of themselves. So that's so powerful. I love you. And it's not, I love you, but because then kids hear the, but and they negate the I love you and they hear you're not good enough. You're not lovable. You're not smart enough. You're not tall enough. You're not pretty enough. And what they concentrate on is the everything after the but statements. And that's why it's so destructive when parents equate their love with their disappointment. And we all do this sometimes. We fall into that pattern and, and just being you know, just being aware of it is essential. And that's what we're talking about. We're creating these opportunities to start conversations, to initiate awareness around these topics that are really important topics to cover because they impact all of our lives. Yeah. Sometimes we have to put distance between ourselves or a little bit of dissociation between what's happening and be able to stand back and go, try and figure it out. One thing that worked really well with uh, Charlie and I was we sat down once and we said, you know, if you were a superhero, what what would your superpower be? And it'd be right, if you were the best kid in the world, what would you be? Would you be smart or strong? Oh, I think I'd be strong, Dad. And then it would be right, and would you be would you be kind or fast? Well, if I was strong, I'd already be fast. Well, is kind important? Yeah. Because otherwise you could use your, your strong and your fast for evil, couldn't you? And would you want to be it? No, so want to be good. Okay, so what would good be? I'd always help animals and I'd always help there. I'd go, right, and if you're bad, I'd hurt animals and I'd be nasty to the kids. So I'd go, right, let's have good Charlie and bad Charlie. Let's make a list. And she'd do it. And we'd put down the list. And some days I'd go to her, hey, bub, who's here today? Good Charlie or bad Charlie? Because I'm pretty sure if we pulled that list out, which is on a wall, I'm pretty sure that would be in the bad Charlie list, do you think? Uh, Yeah. Any idea what's going on? Are you tired? Are you so like, no. I said, well, can we we get good Charlie? Do you you need to run around outside in the backyard and think what good Charlie's going to be? And that's what I say to a lot of the dads who speak to me and they say, oh, you know, I feel like I'm being a bad dad. And I say, well, do you know what a good dad is? What's your idea of a good dad? Write it down. Write it down and look at it and then just be it. Just be it. Be more. A big thing with dad, I get short. You know, I I screamed at my kids because I was tired and, you know, I would had a bad day at work and all the rest. And I said, right, well, here's the thing. When you come home, sit in the car for five minutes, park around the corner and go, right, I'm switching on. I'm good dad now. Okay. Works behind me. Finish off, put the phone away and go, I'm going to walk in that door and I'm going to give that kid the best 30 minutes of running around, chasing him around the backyard with a water pistol, whatever it is, just to run the steam off him and just to let him know I'm home and I missed him and I loved him. And then I can ask of my child, can I have 30 minutes now to go and speak to mum and then come back to your partner? How was your day? And, and all the rest of it. And a lot of times when we're apart, I, I find, and again, I was single for a long time, that we keep all our different parts of our life separated. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether that's a great idea, especially in partners. 
So, you know, oh, I don't want to bore you with it. I don't want to, but we make them feel like they're separate from it. And, and, and I would add on to it and that we're burdening them. But isn't that what yeah. partnership is all about? Is yeah. not the burden, but the sharing, the witnessing, the supporting, the empowering, the championing, the encouraging. I mean, it's all of that combined. And that's yeah. what makes a partnership so invaluable because when we do compartmentalize, as many men do, and some women, um, namely myself, for example, compartmentalize you know, parts of ourselves and we don't share fully, then we're never fully present. And but that's it's okay the, with your kids, with your kids too. You know, yeah, it's a great way to show true. them because as I've said before, Charlie one day said to me, Dad, gee, I, I wish I was as good at things as you and not scared of things. And it, it it made me realize our kids aren't privy to the years of mess ups and to the years of struggles and the fears because it's very easy to appear as a superhero, especially as a dad to a, to a daughter. And it just sets them up for self-doubt and, you know, gee, you know, dad wouldn't be scared of this and dad, and that's, you know, now I make a point of, gee, today, Bob, I had a really bad, bad day, you know, I just, I'm tired and I'm so glad I'm, I'm at home with you because you make me feel better and I, I, I do depend on you, but today I nearly yelled at a man and I, you know, I thought, you know, I'm just tired. It was, it was wrong and it's okay to be frustrated and things like that, but we need to realise it. And it's the same with our um, partners. They want to be included. They want to be a help because there is no greater um, feeling than, and I honestly don't think there's any such thing as a, a true altruistic deed because there's nothing better than feeling as though you've done good yeah. or done well. Exactly. And it's, it's also a gift. So it's a gift that we give our partners to give to us too to receive from from our partners and from our children is a gift as well so setting it up in such a way to receive the gifts of love and affection and attention and support as well as giving them the opportunity and making ourselves or allowing ourselves I guess is the better way of saying it to be vulnerable in receiving that is so essential because then that creates the intimacy yeah. That creates that special bond. And I don't mean like physical intimacy. I mean, emotional intimacy, which is the really deep connection to the soul between two people, parent and child, two partners, friends and family. And it's beautiful yeah. to see when we create that space. I'll give you a tip, boys, to be really awoke. For me, the thing that made me realize when I was struggling immensely was to live a truly invulnerable life, you've got to embrace your vulnerability. If you're scared of being vulnerable, you've just made yourself vulnerable. So you've got to go, you know what, here I am, flaws and all, and tomorrow I might not be here and all the rest of it, and I'm okay with that. Um, I might feel silly, I might feel shame, I might feel embarrassed, I'm okay with it. It, it will go on. And um, if you have a good hard look at yourself and go, my actions are a reflection on me, they have nothing to do with anyone else and hold yourself accountable and go, how do I want to appear? I don't care if I'm silly, I don't care if people think I'm weak, 
because their opinions don't matter. It's how I hold myself inside. Beautifully spoken, absolutely. And for all those women out there that are listening and supporting us and supporting uh, the awoken bloke within each of their men and their children, um, be the soft space for them to explore their emotions, to be awoke, to be connected, to be vulnerable and receive. Allow yourself to receive the compliments. Allow yourself to receive the, the, the healthy, amazing energy that spices the attraction between two people, especially for partners, when they're being seen by each other. With that said, remember these are conversation starters with blokes, their children and women that support them. It's all about many men, many conversations. So follow, like, and share. Also, don't hesitate to comment below, how do you address or prevent coercive controlling behaviors in your life? And what would you like us to address in the future? Until then, see you at the next podcast. Take care. Thank you. Bye.